if they really want to be economically where they should be, they should always be sitting with, in my mind, however number of pigs they, they sell annually, mm-hmm. they should have $100 per head yeah. of working capital capacity. And so the way I look at it, if, if things get really bad um, and I lose $50 a pig for two years, I'm going to be okay. I mean, that's just a simple number I use. So it, it's about $2,000 of working capital per sow. Swine it. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Hey everyone. So today I interviewed Dr. Brad Fracking from New Fashion Pork and uh, he goes over several subjects from packing plants to live production, pig business, his thoughts on uh, COVID-19, and then uh, a few ways of how to survive as a pig business. So with that, enjoy the show and have a good one. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative sponsors like Zinpro, Essential Trace Minerals, Exceptional Performance. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high quality, safe and sustainable way. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcia Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about every pig. The truth is precision swine production is not the future, it is the present. Every pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20-minute demonstration at www.everypig.co slash swineit. Hello, everyone. Today we have Dr. Brad Frecking. How are you, Brad? I'm doing well, Marcio. Welcome to the Swine It podcast show. It's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, we just want to pick our brain and uh, see what's going on. So, okay. I know uh, you had a great episode a f- month ago or two with Vince Crow. That was a super cool episode there. Uh, I think I had over 40,000 uh, views there on last time I yeah. checked. Yeah, I haven't looked at it for about a month, but that just talk about that for a little bit, Marcio. What was interesting about that, I didn't know Vance from Adam. And mm-hmm. and we had just gotten our initial results out of St. Joe in uh, on the mass testing of the workforce. And my CFO said to me Friday morning when I walked in, he goes, you know, you should really talk to this guy because um, mm-hmm. this is really interesting information that people don't know about. Yes. And so that's it. About eight o'clock, nine thirty, we're doing the podcast. I mean, there's nothing nope. that was pre-planned on that. And um, wow. so Vance did a very good job of just asking the questions and creating the conversation. So yes. That's that's super cool. So I know when you talked to him, you mentioned you know a lot of the, the situation about asymptomatic. Yeah. And uh, I guess one question I have is, did anything change, or did you get any more data, or what's your current 
thought, I guess, going two directions here. One is the overall situation on the human side of things, but then also two on the packing plant, and then we can even go into production later, but just overall picture here. Yeah, so uh, we, we continue, so to the best of our knowledge, because that gets turned over to the human health authorities, so we kind of get a little bit in the dark, you know, we, it's, it's their information and not disclosed to us. Um, but to the best of our knowledge, the vast majority, if not all of these symptomatic people we identified with that mass testing did stay quote asymptomatic or, or extremely minor symptoms. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And I know on this topic, there was a uh, few weeks ago where um, WHO had a statement, you know, saying that, oh, uh, that was, uh, uh, what, what is that? That the asymptomatic was not a big deal. But then I think a lot of people get it confused because they do. you have the asymptomatic, but you also have the pre-symptomatic, meaning someone that actually going to uh, spread a lot of that. Because um, she was talking about, a, a lot of ones that don't actually spread, but but honestly, a lot of folks actually do. So I think that was where they came around and, and corrected it. Yeah, there, uh, the gal on WHO, I do, she got lambasted for that comment. Right. But but when you move into the younger population that tend not to develop clinical signs or significant clinical signs, it, it, I do agree with her that their propensity to shed is pretty darn low. Hmm. And, you know, nobody understands yet why that is, Marcio. Right. You know, there's kind of two beliefs out there. Either the common coronaviruses, which are part of the common cold, are providing some level of immunity. So, therefore, the virus enters your body you mount your immune response, but you don't get sick and you're not shedding huge volumes of virus. Mm -hmm. Or number two is the younger people don't have the ACE2 receptors in their systems. And that's why the fatality rate is so much greater in the older population, i.e. 80, 80 years old plus. Yes. I, I don't know which is which. You, right. you hear arguments on both sides. Interesting. If we transition a little bit to the packing plant side of things, I yeah. think I read something that the last two weeks uh, we had more marketed pigs than about a year ago. So uh, is the recovery coming around a little faster than you would have anticipated or what's, what's the situation? So with all the three plants we're affiliated with, um, and I do include Seaboard's plant and Gaiman because we market everything together, um, none of the plants shut down. Uh, we kept harvesting. And so what we did, Marcio, on an integrated value standpoint, it was more important to get the pigs harvested than it was the perfect product mix. Okay. And so we created a lot of uh, what I'd call lower value product, a lot more bone-in product mm -hmm. to keep our harvest levels up. And For now... Sure as the employees are coming back, we were able to diversify our product mix to what it was originally. Mm -hmm. But we need to get back to full staffing to be able to do all that deboning work 
to improve our product mix. And, and that's a little bit, that's part of the cutout value today. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason it's so low in my mind is we're, we're creating too much volume of bone-in product, which is devaluing some of those core products that make up the cutout. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, the pack and plant side of things is not something that a lot of people are familiar with, right? Just because there's not many of those. And uh, personally, I've been through several plants, but I'm far from expert. So it's interesting that is say on the just change in the mix and, and going to a product that probably has higher through the plant, right? Is what I'm guessing you did? Yeah, or? so so we simple we called it simplifying the product mix to increase okay. throughput in the plant. I okay. I harvesting the maximum number possible with the people available. And so we had to change our product mix to do that. Interesting. On the on the whole pack and plant side of things, since we're talking about it, um, Brad, what you think uh veterinarians or nutritionists or or sometimes even uh, growers or producers that are not connected really connected or, or in the plant just in general anything that either people don't understand or get it wrong or anything that you can add here and say hey there's a few things that i've noticed in the last several years that people really don't understand what's going on inside a plant probably the biggest misperception or misunderstanding out there marcio is when you compare pork to beef, you have mm-hmm. apples and oranges. Interesting. I mean, uh, the beef side of it, you're making steaks, roasts, or hamburger. Okay. And, and you don't have this huge volume of further processing like we do with our bellies and hams and a right. few other products, trim. So, so their, their product mix for food service, except for the roast, is the same as their product mix for retail. Interesting. Well, on the pork side of it, 73% of the bellies went through food, food service. Right. And, you know, we can only consume so many bone-in hams. And mm. with, so, so what I learned throughout this process, Marcio, one of the big things I learned, that the pork industry was so dialed in to what the different channels needed mm. that the minute we upset that by 5%, the wheels fell off the bus. Right. You know, so, so even on the beef side, even with them backing up cattle and creating heavier weights, but with the price of hamburger, if you back through that math, I mean, they can convert a lot of product into hamburger and still do extremely well throughout with the plant. Now, now the feedlot guy is upset with what he's getting paid today, but mm-hmm. with box beef at 250 bucks and $4, $5 hamburger, you got a lot of options of what to do with that product. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take a lot of people to make hamburger. You know, those are machines mm-hmm. that do that. So right. Super interesting, yeah, because, I mean, they, they didn't – get even close i heard some comments from some um cattle growers but i mean that was not even close to what happened to the pigs my understanding no no it's not at all yeah i mean it's two totally different worlds i mean they they do got some pricing issues between growers and plants but i mean the same can be said for a lot of industries so 
Okay. Um, there's comments about, hey, our packing plants are too big today, right? Uh, which is the opposite of what we see in Brazil, that uh, you have the good and the bad side of being super efficient, like you mentioned. So yeah. I don't know if you have any comments on that or what's your take or any lesson from the last few months that with new plans so we don't get into trouble like that in the future. So because we're de deemed essential, Marcio, I mean, we kept working every day through this whole COVID deal. Mm -hmm. As other businesses open up and you bring, let's say, in excess of 100 or 200 people together into that work setting, they're going to experience the same thing we did. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not, I mean, anytime you're going to bring people together in large volumes, I mean, you will right. go through this. I mean, we're just at the front side of it. So I don't think processing plants are materially different than a car factory or any other type factory. I mean, we may have a cooler setting, which allows when the people come in, if they are shedding for that virus to live longer than if they're outside or 85 degrees UV light, obviously. But so we were just at the forefront. Um, once again, I'll take you back to our product mix. Mm -hmm. Um, in a normalized market, the smaller plants, and it depends how small you're talking. You know, I, mm -hmm. I see plants out here today, you know, 5,000 head a day or 10,000 head a day doing very well. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking 100 head a day, 200 head a day, I mean, you're, you're getting into very niche markets. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, in all honesty, it probably applies itself better to the beef industry mm. where you have a much more simplified product mix. Interesting. Very cool. Anything else on the plant side of things before I move to more production, uh, Brent? No, I mean, we're just, um, you know, trying to get everything back to full employment, keep the employees safe. Um, um, there is um, CDC issued some new guidelines, Marcio, that, on testing that look um, ridiculous oh, really? to use a calm term. Um, so <laughs> I'm curious. I haven't seen it. What, what does it say? Oh, it, it's a testing regime that in all honesty, you'd have nobody working if somebody oh tested positive. I mean, so, mm. so we're engaged with uh, the Samford health group. They've been at the forefront of this um, with COVID task force, not as triumph, but more on the individual side and um, it's kind of a neat group it's uh, we're going to be generating some papers here shortly oh wow and it's a group of about um, four or five do human doctors mm -hmm. and then about five or six five different veterinarians and some other modelers okay and so so hopefully we can when that information comes out that we publish we we can start you know, working with entities like CDC and say, guys, you know, here's what a testing protocol should look like. I mean, wow. here's what our models are showing us, you know, for a safe work environment. So, so that's pretty cool task force that we're on and hopefully some good comes out of that more. So. Wow. That's super cool. Is that, is that uh, Stanford out of California or, or is that? Uh, no, no. Sanford health, Stanford, okay. which, um, they're predominantly Sioux Falls based, okay. but then if you draw 
you know, a 150 mile radius around that. They have pretty, it would be our regional healthcare supplier. Supply. And then okay. Mayo Clinic is to the east of us. But, mm. but Samford, they're at the front lines with the John Morrell plant. They did all that testing. Cool. And then they did all the testing for the JBS plant in Worthington. Okay. Okay. So they understand this virus very well. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. So from the production side of things, Brad, uh, just overall how, how things are going, um, anything that um, you guys had to change? change <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I talked to Chad Hassett a, yeah. a month ago or so. He mentioned, uh, and I was actually exchanging email with, with someone today. Uh, sounds like some folks uh, slow down when the pigs almost chew too much too good you know so yeah you know so when this virus started spreading and it looked like death coming to us out of new york uh, with all the mistakes they made managing it we we put in place i went to the team and said hey put together a plan that if we cannot harvest a pig for two weeks we're going to be okay Mm-hmm. So they they had that plan in place, had it thought through, built some space into our system. So when the disruption started happening, we were in an okay position to start dealing with backing pigs up. You know, so that was real time. Um, you know, we're still managing through it today, Marcio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, we do still have some pigs backed up, not to the extent um, where I thought we'd be at this time because the plants came back pretty early. Right. And then, uh, when, when some of the suppliers to the plants implemented, let's call them slow down diets or low growth diets. Mm-hmm. I mean, they shut the pigs down. Hmm. I mean, wow. the, the results that came out of our research facilities, I was shocked. Mm-hmm. of your ability to in essence stand a pig still and then compensatorily add you know four to five pounds a day in the following week right i've seen some of the research from iowa state there too yeah Yeah. well chad did that that was our research right yeah okay yeah Yeah. because i think they did small scale and then you guys did the large scale one yeah yep yeah it's amazing it's crazy how the pigs can that's a proof right there of the compensatory growth yeah, well, on the flip side of that, Marcio, we show a lot of pigs. We have three sons, active in 4 H, so we know all about stalling pigs out and compensatory gain. It's a real deal. So. That's super cool. Oh, wow. Um, all right. And uh, I was going to ask you on production as well. Um, more on uh, the business side of things, I guess. Yeah. Um, what are the highlights to be able to handle uh, just the overall economic problem, if you will, you know, uh, just from the business side of things, any pillars or things that you've implemented over the last several decades that you feel that, that have helped? Well, I, I mean, there'd be two key drivers to that, Marcio. Number one is integration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we basically today with Sioux City, Every pig we own is economically forward integrated. Um, so that that's point number one. Mm-hmm. Um, point number two with that is 
um, putting together a system that's very low cost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just found the production model that works for us um, with the 6,000 South Farm and driving that either through traditional nurseries or wean to finish. Um, there our entire production system is made up of 6,000s and 1,000 South Farm. The only small farms we have are multipliers. So, so it's a highly efficient, low cost production side, live operations. Then you have forward integration at the harvest level, and then you add on to that some additional further processing with the bacon side of it. Interesting. And you also have some back integration. Is that what Yeah, yeah. Domestically, we row crop about 15,000 acres. And most of that corn on a cash basis without uh, return to land, mm -hmm. our operating cost is about $2, $2 a bushel. Wow. So because yeah. we got the pig manure. Mm -hmm. So all the farms are tied to the pig barns. And because we own so many of our finishing assets, we own that manure. Mm. So we fully integrate the land with the pigs. Interesting. And so... Basically, I'd say 95% of our acres, mm -hmm. the, the primary nutrient source are, is the, the pig manure. Wow. So, so, and then plus we do our own application. Mm -hmm. um, so compared to a traditional farmer, they're spending about $150 for nutrients for that corn crop you know, a lot of times we can do it for 50 bucks. Wow. So, I mean, that's our big cost advantage right there. Right. Impressive. Very cool. What do you see, uh, Brad, as um, the few, two or three biggest challenges going forward here, not only on the short term, like, but, but also thinking mid or long term for, the, for you or for the industry? I mean, this should have been a very clear wake-up call of mm -hmm. the delicate supply of demand, supply, the balance. Mm -hmm. And when that gets out of whack, I mean, things, I mean, the wheels fall off pretty quick. So I think this needs to be one of those lasting scars for everybody, you know, to have in their brain as they're mm -hmm. looking at the industry as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. You know, because part of the part of our challenge today on the cutout value, I mean, truthfully, we should be about an $80 cutout value, but, you know, just Mexico not taking the bone and ha bone and hams, I mean, they've dropped 35 cents, mm. you know, so if we were dealing with more of a normalized market, I think we'd be up at a cutout level that'd be sustainable, mm. but, you know, six, $5 cutout, that's not very sustainable for anybody. Right. Interesting. What do you think, Brad, is the reason that several, we always lose during these tough times, we always lose some pig producers, right? Uh, go mm -hmm. bankrupt. So what do you think? I mean, I guess that's part of business, right? There's always going to be some, but I guess is there, you mentioned integration and other things, but always comes to my mind is cash reserves, right? I, and oh, yeah. so, is that a big deal or how many months of cash reserves or access to line of credits? How does that even work? I don't, I don't really understand. I've never been in those types of discussion, but I just want to get your thoughts. So at least hopefully we can help some, some 
these smaller pig producers? If they really want to be economically where they should be, they should always be sitting with, in my mind, however number of pigs they, they sell annually, mm-hmm. they should have $100 per head of yeah. working capital capacity. And so the way I look at it, if, if things get really bad um, and I lose $50 a pig for two years, I'm going to be okay. I see. Wow. I mean, that's just a simple number I use. Right. So it's about $2,000 of working capital per sow. Okay. And when you say working capital, could be some cash available. Whatever. Available access to cash. Access. Yeah. And whether it's cash in the bank or whatever. Yeah. Got it. Perfect. Perfect. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask you is um, anything... Um, I guess one thing we try to do in the podcast is just bring new ideas and conflicting ideas. Uh, anything that you believe uh, that you disagree with most of the people could be, could be production, could be business, could be packing plant, could be anything else, even not related to pigs, I guess. COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's big I, one. I mean, if you'd actually go through and scrub the data, Marcio, in my mind, it's no worse than a bad flu going through on mm-hmm. an annualized basis. So take the state of Minnesota. 82% of the mortality is coming out of nursing homes mm-hmm. with comorbidities. And our governor continues to put COVID-positive people into those settings. I mean, it's insanity. So I think when, when you'd actually, you know, today we went over 120,000 fatalities or yesterday mm-hmm. within the U.S., but I think if you'd go through those numbers and talk about the mistakes that were made and pull out the elderly comorbidity deaths, mm-hmm. you're probably in a 50,000 range. And then even those 50,000 had some significant comorbidities. So, because you look at the younger population under 20, I mean, you gotta, you gotta scrub the planet over looking for a death. Yes. Yeah. So, so, and then just the way the CDC has managed this, you know, it's like, okay, this population people, you're fine. Okay. You, You guys go on with life, but this population over here, you're at risk, isolate, take care of yourself lock down the elderly homes. But mm-hmm. kids, it's up to you. Do what you want because we haven't seen anything to justify the insanity that we've gone through the last three months. Right. No, so, no, it's it's super interesting. And then you go back to uh, the way, because um, everything goes back to incentives, right? And and CDC, the way CDC had set up is like, hey, uh, what's that? If you have someone diagnosed with COVID, then you, I think you get a $13,000. And then if you put Oh, them- yeah, the, the, the incentivize. So, yeah, if it's a COVID mortality or a COVID patient, then it's automatically 13000 bucks. And so I think where the East Coast, I got hit first, where they really screwed up mm. um, because they're, they're economically incentivized to put people on ventilators. Right. And they didn't know what they're doing with the ventilators because the ventilators are 39,000. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Some of the mismanagement uh, of yep. the patients in the early days, because even if you go to Florida, um, Texas, even California, yeah. Uh, positive case counts are going up, which in my mind, Marcio is a good thing. 
this virus ain't yeah. going away. Right. So the best time to create herd immunity is right now when you don't have the influenzas around, the para-influenzas, the coronaviruses, your normal winter bugs. I mean, this is when, at this point in time, when people are healthy, they're outside, they're in the sun, they got lots of vitamin D, this one you create herd immunity. You don't keep continue to keep everybody locked down. Right. So they're they're just going about it wrong in my mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. Because this thought of staying locked down until a vaccine, what I'll <laughs> tell you, Marcy, I've been working with coronaviruses for twenty five years as a veterinarian. No and it, we've yet to create an effective vaccine. Right, right. That's that's now, true, yeah. Just now what's different here, you got the entire planet working on it. Mm. Not just some pig vets, but right. so there may be technological breakthroughs on the vaccinology front. But mm. interesting. Yeah, and, and would, do you think if if uh knowing what we know today, if virus came in, should should uh you mentioned uh what you call a partial you may want to call a partial lockdown, but but would uh what do you call sudden two weeks or three weeks full lockdown if yeah. I don't even know if that's possible, but more aggressive lockdown and then release quicker too. I mean it, it would have helped, but but the reality is, Marcio, this virus is on the planet. Right. It's gonna come so, again. I mean, it's gonna travel. Even if the US would have went into a hardcore lockdown. And let's say we would have burnt it out. So would we shut our borders forever? Right. There's no way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, so that's your, you know, it's just like the doctors, human health doctors, as on this morning, you know, they're, they know this virus is going to be with us. Yeah. You know, so it's like he said, we just have to manage through it. And as long as our case counts and bed availability is fine with a very open society, I mean, we just got to get on with life. Right. And those are the doctors saying that. Hmm. No, super interesting. Let, let me ask you, okay, we're sitting here a year from now. Most people, not, not, let's not say that we forgot about COVID, but at least we, we have other things we worry about long term. I go back to that question what would be your long-term concerns um, besides, besides COVID for our, for our industry? Trying to maintain an overall macro supply demand balance that allows for profitability in the industry. I mean, that, that to me would be number one concern, Marcio, Um, because it seems like as an industry, you know, we can't help but produce more and, um, And these global, I mean, these disruptions in my mind are going to become more frequent, mm-hmm. not less frequent. You know, right. especially, you know, as the U.S., its foreign policy is changing. Um, we're becoming less engaged on a global basis. And what, what do those historical export channels look like going forward? Um, so... So when I look at our industry, I'm concerned mm-hmm. um, with with many of those export channels as to what they may look like in the future. Interesting, interesting. On, on that note, as as you think about the hog cycle, and I think uh, 
two weeks ago for some reason i ended up on wikipedia looking at the hog cycle and it's about a so, five-year cycle right and uh, what's funny is that they teach on i think they teach on ag economics or economic school like it's famous like the hog cycle so it's been happening for a, a century my point is there is no way we can come around that or what's the <laughs> what's the lesson right yeah i, I mean it, it's you know we've taken a different route mauricio um you know, once we achieve full integration, um, we, we're very diversified with mm -hmm. our investments. And um, it, we really don't have any desire to raise more pigs mm -hmm. because we, I, I mean, land for us, land has a higher long-term ROA mm. than raising pigs. ROAs? Return on asset or what do you call it? Yeah, our, yeah, our return on investment, okay. return on assets. And so we just don't see the hurdle rate being achieved to raise more picks mm -hmm. as commodity picks. You know, I don't know if other people look at that or consider that in their, in their math when they're looking at what they do. Um, you know, the other thing that's different about us, I mean, we own a lot of our assets you know, feed mills, all the sow farms, you know, 70, 75% of the finishing facilities. So, so we've driven investment in to those type of returns. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. And then um, another one I have read is um, among, among producers or even vets or nutritionists when when you think about collaboration and, and so even sharing some of the information right like like you guys just did that study with Iowa State um, for the good of the industry um, what are your thoughts there like because I know we have folks in the industry that are super hey I'm not going to share anything oh, other yeah. folks that share more any thoughts there no I well I mean you take Chad um, he, he has a great relationship group of nutritionists through the integrated model that he shares a lot of information with, um, to the point we actually share research projects between the various producers who does what. Um, so he's sitting there and in, in a great group of intellectuals continue to drive things forward. Um, you know, Marcio, I've always taken the position that, that there's very little information that we possess that's proprietary mm -hmm. in all honesty. Yeah. Because it, it comes all, it all comes down to your ability to implement, implement. that yeah. technology. Yeah. And very, very, I, I mean, we do create some proprietary information occasionally mm -hmm. but as a rule of thumb most of that information that could be shared it all comes down to your capability to implement super interesting and 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 i'll put a parenthesis or a comment on that i don't know if you heard a few years ago where when tesla put all their all their design or whatever mm -hmm. else all, everything was public and people were like are you crazy and but it's because and for them they just wanted you know just create a new wave and even the compet well, help the competitors. It, it, yeah. Well, it's even beyond that. Um, 
I mean, if you want to follow somebody interesting on Twitter besides Trump, mm-hmm. Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. I follow uh, him. I mean, that guy is just out there. But, yeah. but but I think he did it on purpose. He threw it out there to the world yeah. to get the really smart engineers looking at it and actually help him yep. with his designs right. and, and on board with the company and bring forth economically new information to him. Because I'm sure – he probably had a thousand different engineers come forward with technological enhancements hmm. where he maybe gave them a hundred grand, but turned that hundred grand into 10 million. Right. No, so, that from the innovation side. And also I think from just the competitors creating an electric model, right? Where now the whole ecosystem uh, is advanced. So it's it helped help them on their case. But, but back to peak production, I mean, Again, sometimes, of course, like you said, sometimes you have some intellectual property, uh, but then at the end of the day, we also need to be competitive, right? As a as an industry, I guess. Yeah, people, so, processes. I mean, our three main mantras: people, processes, and information systems. Hmm. Interesting. To drive productivity. So. Let's 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 dig a little deeper on that. So, what what your <laughs> what's your overall thoughts on um, people, just from leadership and or accountability or empowerment standpoint? Um, you know, so as a company, Marcel, we're very open um, with our performance, our metrics, um, down to the individual manager. Um, mm-hmm. They all get their own P and L every month. Wow. They mm-hmm. review it. Um, so we're very that. open with that information. People understand where we're at, how we're doing overall. And, and what it does, it creates competition amongst themselves in a healthy manner. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of interaction between the different managers and between the growth finish managers and their South Farm managers. I mean, so so a service manager in the growth finish, he'll be managing one flow of pigs out of a 6,000 South farm. So those relationships are very strong between those two managers. Okay. So they address a lot of issues right there in the field, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's pig quality or numbers, you know, that they got those relationships established. And so we drive that throughout our, our company, but but one, one thing we really noticed over the last couple, probably three years uh, with the college graduates coming out, you know, in the old days, it, you could say, hey, trust me, we'll take care of you. Um, when that job opens up, you'll be in line, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And that is not the situation with these kids today. Mm-hmm. And so we implemented a very robust training program, CTE, pro, we call it CTE program, um, Commitment to Excellence. And, and so that they're actually on a one to two year track mm. where they, they're developing those job skills. And there's compensation associated with that. So, so we're now sitting here today uh, with a bench of people within our company that are ready for promotion due to that program. Oh, wow. So, so that's been exciting to get that done and yeah. see that in progress. Super cool. Do, do you have uh, I know we always talk about um, chartering in labor, right? Um, uh, is that a concern to you or you guys? Yeah, plant levels. Plant levels. 
but we, we, we haven't had labor issues on the production side for a very, very long time. But part of that is the TN visa program too, mm -hmm. the transnational. Right. Super cool. I know. I think it's only with Mexico, right? I wish there was one in Brazil. I think that would be beneficial. Uh, it's with Canada and Mexico okay. and the U.S. So any any college graduate that fulfills that job description can freely work between three countries. Interesting. Very cool. Cool. What what what's your highlights on processes when you think about that? Well, I mean, it's all about repetition. Mm. Find the right right process and just repeat, repeat, repeat. And, you know, it's no different than all of our production farms being six thousands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just we found the right model that works economically and productivity wise. And you just repeat, repeat, repeat. But okay. you got to have the information systems mm -hmm. to help you identify what processes are and are not working. Mm -hmm. So when we sit down at month end, Mercio, we can sit there with eight different P&Ls of the same size sow farms and just compare them top to bottom. You know, why, why is that farm so good? And, you, you know, it just creates that conversation because everything's same. So, so we have our own internal benchmarks, you know, and, and you do the same thing with Grow Finish. You know, why is that flow at a 4% we in the market? Mm -hmm. You know, what do we need to change? How do we need to, you know, take the processes they're doing in farm A and put them in farm F because they're working so well. Right. And I love that, you know, uh, when you mentioned the PNL, is that only on the sow farm level or also the regular? Oh, girl finish too. Super yeah. cool. Because... I, I, I'm, it's, I don't think that's extremely common, is it? No. no. Yeah. And see, we don't commingle any pigs. Mm, so, helps. Yeah. so we have an entire P&L top to bottom. Mm -hmm. You know, right. because that growing herd is tied to that sow farm. Right. So we see the entire cost P&L through that entire flow. So when you go to implement a change within one of those 6,000s, we can follow that change through financially to measure yes. the outcome. That's super cool. And, and like I said, uh, sometimes some companies uh, don't want to share that. But again, like ev everyone understands why a, com why a company is a company, right? To create value and, and also benefit from it. And uh, But also if you want the people in the company to really work towards a goal, uh, and the first goal is to stay alive in the business. <laughs> you need to make money. And, and so that makes sense. Cool. Well, I, I mean, at the end of the day, Marcio, I mean, even though we're integrated, it's still a commodity. Right. You know, we don't have significant market differentiation. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so if you're going to survive in a commodity, you, you got to be really, really good at what you're doing. Interesting. Yeah. Back to the, the three things you mentioned. Wow. Yeah. So, so then information systems goes back to what you mentioned already, or there's anything else, any other KPIs or anything that you look at? You know, we're, we've always taken the approach that it's better to put the information out for everybody to see instead of trying to harangue people to change those behaviors. 
So we probably have 30 uh, daily or weekly KPI reports mm -hmm. that are just flashed out company-wide mm -hmm. that line up all the farms, all the flows. And, you know, instead of me calling up and bitching at somebody, <laughs> yes. you know, let's just create the report, get it out there for everybody to see it. Right. And you create an environment of self-improvement, self-governance. Makes yeah, that makes total sense. And everyone everyone wants to do a good job at the end. Mo yeah. Most people want to do a good job. So um Well, and if they don't know where they're at, yeah, relative to their peers, how do they know? Right. You know, so so we put we freely share that and create that positive working relationships because we don't make the flows. We, we have nothing to do with tournament type system. Okay. You know, each, each flow is based upon their own budget metrics, et cetera, mm. uh, as it pertains their production bonuses and in 50% of their bonuses are, are with audits, how they okay. score in their audits, mm. not production. And, and the reason we do that, Marcio, is that farms will go through PERS and our health issues right, right. that were most likely beyond their capabilities Rich. to manage or to keep that out. So if you're only production driven on your bonus, that farm works way harder during a disease event mm -hmm. and they make less money. That's mm -hmm. why we implemented the audits plus to drive behavioral changes as to things that are important to us. But they, even if they're doing through going through a PERS outbreak, they can still get some bonus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so it's no. just, you know, it's all how you approach the culture you want to put together with your team. No, that makes sense. And, one last question here, Brad, yeah. to be respectful of your time uh, before the, the three questions that we ask every guest. So okay. this question is, um, we, I see around the globe, not as common in the US, but around the globe, a lot of people concerned with uh, just the feed efficiency in the wheat finish. Oh, I have the best feed efficiency or oh, I have a good look at my average day gain. Um, and then when I challenge some folks, hey, that doesn't make sense. We need to look at uh, profitability or you know fluctuate the energy and all those things that we know and then I also got the answer hey well because we need consistent product if you will to the packing plant so you are in a good position to to bring your insight like yeah that doesn't make sense or what's your what's your message on that arena as far as looking at just some feed efficiency numbers versus P&L or profit like we talked about well first and foremost it's your cost of unit of gain, mm -hmm. and then your investment in housing costs. You got to put those two numbers together, and that should be your benchmark. Mm -hmm. Because if, if I got ample housing availability, right. why am I investing to speed my pigs up to leave barns empty? Mm -hmm. Yes. Or... If I got, if I'm tight on space, I'm going to invest more in that pig to speed them up and creating a better feed conversion. So, I mean, Chad worries about those numbers. Right. You know, I'm looking at the bottom line. Right. And how many 
pounds are we selling? Yes. Now, what's our cost to get there? And what was our throughput within that flow? You know, because Chad can create a diet where, Marcio, we could run two, 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 three feed conversion. Exactly. Now, I won't like the cost of that. Yeah. Now, I can create an environment to have pigs grow at 2.5, 2.6 pounds. Right. But I'm not going to like my bottom line. Right. So it, it's, you, you got to tie it all together. I mean, throwing out individual numbers yeah. are kind of meaningless to me mm-hmm. until you understand where that number comes from. Super cool. Same thing sometimes as uh, PSY versus... Oh, I mean, yeah. that, that number, I mean, <laughs> I remember sitting down with a company one day and, you know, just trying to give them some feedback. And, you know, I tried to ask about PSY and they go, well, which one? I go, what do you mean, which one? Well, we calculated eight different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, just forget about that. How, how, many, how many pigs did you sell? last right. year and how many sows do you got yeah <laughs> so yeah kind of backed into it and you know because you know you take our company the only thing that gets counted in our psy is a number one pig delivered to the nursery yeah you know so so if you ship out a bunch of calls yeah comes off number you know so so it all, you know, it's how everybody wants to play at that a little bit more soon. You can make it look 31, 32, or in our system, being very conservative, the guilts come in at young ages, only a number one pig is counted. You know, if we're above 28, we're pretty happy because that's 28 pigs delivered mm-hmm. to the nursery. Very cool. Good quality pigs. It is time to our famous three. A worldwide leader in animal nutrition, our company offers specialized technical support for nutritionists, veterinarians, and other animal production professionals. Our portfolio of programs and services include a wide array of high-performing feed solutions such as essential nutrients, palatability, feed preservation, mycotoxin management, and health and nutrition. To learn more about our company, visit us at www. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. So first one is, what's your favorite pig-related book, Brad? It's been a while, maybe. Oh, my word. You know, we might have to come back. You know what it is, truthfully? Uh Uh, Diseases of swine. Yeah. I, I, I would guess. I, I would, yeah, I would guess as a that. veterinarian, that's, yes. <laughs> that'd be the one. Super cool. How about a book in general or resource? Could be a book or could be a resource in general. Well, that goes into the different areas. Um, the, the guy I really follow because of our business model um, with Triumph Foods and Seaboard and exporting 30% of our product globally. Mm-hmm. The gentleman I follow heavily is Peter Zeon, mm. uh, Z-E-I-H-A-N. Okay. And, um, you know, the first time I heard that guy was five years ago. And he, he he's a geopoliticist that incorporates social demographics in predicting mm-hmm. outcomes. And um, the guy's been amazingly accurate. And he has three books out. And I'd recommend if, if, 
if you're interested on a global basis, global economics, global trade, that type of deal, I'd highly recommend him. Super interesting. Peter Zion. Yep. Cool. And you can follow him on, just go to his webpage and sign up for his newsletters. Cool. Very nice. I was not familiar with him. And then lastly, uh, what do you think sets apart successful sound professionals from those uh, or not? And that is a very open-ended question. Um, it, it, I'm going to look at it from the position as CEO, mm-hmm. managing partner. Um, it, it, in our business, you know, when you're dealing with two biological processes, i.e. raising the pig and the human responsible mm-hmm. for caring for that pig, it's all about the people. Or so mm-hmm. The better people processes and information feedback Mm -hmm. so the stronger you are with that the better company you'll have i love it i love it brad i am really thankful for your time yeah Uh, love to uh to chat with you without any without knowing where we were gonna go so well, well, we're uh, here in Jacks, Minnesota, so you're welcome anytime, Marcio. Cool. No, I appreciate that. And um, we'll be in touch here. Thanks so much okay. for your time, Brad. Absolutely. You have a great day. Thanks, Brad. Hey, everyone. Please share our episodes with as many people as you can so we can continue to impact the life of swine professionals from around the globe with the wisdom of our great guests. Before you go, make sure to get in our waitlist for the Swine Talks web conference, the first online conference of the global swine industry, an update on hot topics, and we even gonna have some controversial topics of the global swine industry. So you can leverage that knowledge in your day today. Go to swinetalks.com and get on our waitlist. We'll talk soon.